Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about um, how the hell I ended up in this industry. So I imagine anyone listening to this would have some idea, but just to explain, Cadence is a coaching and communication training firm. So we coach around leadership and we also, I guess we train around leadership, but then we also do a lot of courses on communication. But I started out as a therapist and I was working in addiction and mental health. But really what my prime focus in life was, was playing in punk bands, touring in punk bands, collecting records, hanging out. And it's kind of all I really wanted out of life was playing in hardcore bands. You know, I remember looking at the layout of Youth of Today, We're Not in This Alone, and just thinking like, man, this is all I want to do. I just want to like play in punk bands and listen to hardcore and tour all over the world. When I think about that, that lifestyle, it was really based on like, man, I just want to like live and, and be a part of something I believe in. And it's cool now, like, you know, as I'm older, I still love, love hardcore and I'm still like straight edge, vegan, like into all those things. And to get me in a van for like two months, I don't know, like, I don't think that would be possible. And it wouldn't be a money thing. It would just be like, that sounds awful. right now. Like I've already done it. And I know there's like generations of, of people out there like ripping it up, enjoying it. It's just, I've changed. Uh, I've really changed. And like, one of the things I've been thinking about is like, I still get to be on this like totally wild adventure that I'm on, except now I get to do it with Cadence. And I still get to be a part of something I really believe in. And I really believe in, in helping people become better leaders. Cause you know what, if you've had a great leader, your life is forever changed in a positive way. If you've had a bad leader, your life is forever changed in a negative way. So I want to give people that first experience, like help people have great experiences with someone who cares about them and invests in them and is ethically sound. And so it's really cool to be able to help do that. I also like helping people like get a handle on how they want to present themselves when they're speaking, you know, like whether it's just a casual conversation or something more formal, like how do you communicate? How do you put your ideas out there? Giving people that sense of empowerment has been really cool. And, you know, it's almost like my vision of what adventure is and what like really being out there is, has changed and grown as I've changed and grown. And it's been cool. It's been really cool. That relates to our guest today. So today we're going to be speaking to uh, um, someone I have a ton of respect for. It's my friend, RJ Limepeter. Uh, RJ is the owner of Timeless Coffee, a plant-based bakery and coffee roastery based in Oakland, California. RJ has had a love of coffee since he was 19. And when traveling abroad in 2010, he saw a shift in the coffee that he wanted to be a part of. He started Timeless in 2012 and has been continually keeping his company's vision at the forefront which is to act as a good steward, not only in the coffee and food industry, but for animals, people, and the planet. This is a very cool episode. You know, RJ can hang, like we can talk about funny stuff, like, you know, just people we know or hardcore and swap stories. And we can have like real deal business talks. He's a, a really captivating guy. And I learned a ton by being a part of this. So before we get to the episode, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All 
right, everyone, we are back. Thanks so much for joining us today. And as I mentioned in the intro, we are speaking today to someone that I have huge respect for, very inspirational to me as both a friend and a business owner. Uh, so RJ, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here and thank you for the kind words. Absolutely, man. So there's a ton I want to unpack with you today. But the first mm -hmm. thing I want to start with is, all right, like a ton of people come to this show for you know, from different places. We've got people from the punk world. We've got people who are artists, people who are um, from the political world. We've got activists. It's like an interesting mix of people, including corporate people, but they all come for one reason. And it's to hear about leadership and to hear different people's takes on leadership, like what matters to them. And when I think of you, like you are like a real leader uh, amongst a group of people within a community, just like the way that you carry yourself in a group of people. And I'm interested on your perspective. If you were to think about leadership, what does that mean for you as you are in your life and in your career? Um, again, thanks for the kind words. Appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, leadership to me, you know, I've worked in a lot of different fields. And the one thing that always rung true to me in leadership roles was consistency. Mm -hmm. um, and without a doubt, even if I know uh, who my boss or who my leaders are, as long as they're consistent and I can at least expect a consistent res response, disciplinary actions, positive reinforcement, whatever that is, that in general, I know that when those, when that's coming down the pipeline, um, mm -hmm. that the leaders are typically tend to be very consistent and you know what you're getting from that at all times, whether it be how they walk their life, whether it be, uh, how they are in their relationships and at work, like trying to be as consistent as possible has been one thing that's been extremely important to me. And I feel like it does resonate, especially with my staff and my community. I feel like I haven't wavered pretty much through my life. And for the most part, uh, I would, I can say pretty confidently that most people know what they're getting from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've known you for a pretty long time and I've seen you in a bunch of different settings mm -hmm. and you at least from my perspective, have been very consistent with who you are, how you approach things, how you view things. And I've seen you in like music settings, community mm -hmm. settings, work settings. And you're also just like a stronger and heightened version of yourself as you go along. So you're consistent, but not in a way that stymies you, that that consistently uh, builds and follows you as you evolve as a person, as a leader. So I would agree with that in your style. But let me ask you, is consistency, because consistency is like one thing when you're just like, consistent with your group of friends. Yeah, like you're just like a good guy. But when you've done what you've done, which is like take a leap and you've opened uh, like a, at first, like a coffee shop slash cafe, and now it's expanding, has your consistency been tested when you've put it all on the line like that? Without a doubt. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say absolutely without a doubt. I mean, how many times... Man, when we were younger, um, I can't speak for you, but I would assume the general population, when they're younger, everyone thinks that they know what's best. Uh, the place that they work at, they would have done it differently. And yeah, if I was in charge, I would have done this. Or, you know, I don't understand why they did that. And I would say the one thing that I've learned the most, and I actually talk to my wife about it regularly, is, you know, we're nine years in with timeless we're about to open our third store and we have another store down the road and we're i'm looking at it from uh, i learn things so often like oh man that's why that boss did that i had no idea until i was presented with a situation whether it be a pandemic granted it's extreme 
but not understanding those things until they're you're actually faced with it as an owner where you're the person on the lease, you're the person who's at risk. You're also somewhat in charge of taking care of those set employees. Granted, mm. they can choose to do what they like, but it's also my responsibility to do at the most that I can to try and take care of their well-being while they're under the roof of Timeless. And man, I've learned so much and I know there's so much more to learn as we like hit these new steps and uh, roadblocks, you would say. But I can't tell you how many times I've been like, I've called old bosses and been like, hey, by the way, I totally understand why you did that 10 years ago. That's insane, you know? So um, It's funny you say that, man, because like, you know, punk, being growing up in the punk scene, and we'll, we'll get to that, and I'd love, I want you to share your story about that, but growing in the, up in the punk scene, you know, you have that kind of classic distaste of authority and also punk like incur- yeah, and it encourages you to voice your opinion on everything, right? Like even things you don't know anything about. Like mm-hmm. I know, I know a lot about everything is that kind of like that, that space. And I'm going to tell everyone what I think. It's funny. Cause like coming up in the, in the work world, I've classically like had like a pretty poor opinion of a lot of my bosses and exactly what you just said. When I became a business owner, and when I had to like hire people, cultivate talent, like build relationships, like I, I had to like have rules and all of this kind of stuff. I was like, oh, oh, I know why that person did that. And oh, mm-hmm. man, I was probably not very cool to my boss or I probably, you know, and and yes, that person sucked, but maybe they didn't suck as much as I they as they totally. as I thought they did. Or maybe I sucked and like they actually weren't that bad. Owning a business has been the most eye-opening thing to me about me out of almost anything I've done except for being a, a father now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't speak on the being a father outside mm-hmm. of my two cats. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, it's been the necessary growth that I personally needed in my life. Again, we come from the same music background and philosophies in general, and I always thought I knew best, especially in mm-hmm. my teens, and have always kind of like stayed true to what I felt was important. And in doing so, being a business owner and taking on the responsibility of also learning how to grow a business has been the best thing for me on a personal level, because it's kind of put my values and not my, yeah, some of my values in check, but also how I've learned how to communicate with other people, all walks of life even more opens my horizon up to not like actually putting myself in someone else's shoes more than just saying it like what i have to do i feel and as business owners we have to consistently put ourselves in other people's shoes if we're trying to look out for those around us and for the growth of not only the business but the community and learning how to actually do that with actions and not just words yeah oh man absolutely all right so i want you to think back to like right when you started timeless like maybe in that first year what is clearly different about you now than it was back then The most obvious, and I would say with the people who work with me, is my openness to actually hear other ideas. Um, Wasn't that open to it in the very beginning. I was, this is my first shot at it. I'm only going to, I'm going to do it my way. And I don't look back and have regret on it at all. But the biggest thing is, oh, I legit cannot do this alone. Um, And the biggest change is actually sitting down with meetings with people and people have a real say or seat at the table because they most people probably do a lot of things better than I can do. And I've learned so many of my, what are faults. And I did, I felt like I didn't have many of them, you know, nine years ago, or I didn't, I wasn't aware of what those faults were. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, with the people who have stuck around and realize like they would say that, oh yeah, I've definitely allow their opinions more and go like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let's jot that down. And my first thing is it no, let's do it this way. It's that's a good idea. Let's see it. Let's put that down on paper. Let's see how that works. I love that, man. All mm-hmm. right. But going back to what you're saying, like around faults, let's staying away from faults for a second. What's something that you've been pleasantly surprised to learn about yourself? Like something that you're like, actually, you didn't know about yourself, but now you know and you feel good about. Um, I think it goes back to what I was just saying before about putting myself in someone else's shoes. I mm-hmm. always felt like I had that in me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm as society, you know, it's an important factor right now, but a white male grow up in the suburbs. And although I was attracted to like punk and alternative lifestyles and fled to urban communities because I felt like that was like where I wanted to be a part of, but actually as I've grown and now in my early forties, I feel very confident about putting myself in somebody else's shoes. And I, and that didn't come from tour. And that didn't come as much from music as much as it became like actually a real partner in the community of where I lived. And that was like the biggest thing. I was like, oh, I'm able to like have discussions with all different walks of life, different employees. And I feel very good about myself as like really listening to people, constructively thinking about new ideas and how we can better our community. Um, And that's something that I've learned and I'm continually getting better. And I didn't know that I would actually be able to do that because I was a very opinionated younger person had a lot of nope that's the way it goes this is how it is this is how it isn't and now it's like oh yeah I never really thought of it that way a I love that b it's like that idea of like oh you know we need to like put ourselves and like have empathy by putting ourselves in the shoes of other people easy to say super hard to do especially when your business like the thing that you've taken a risk on is on the line or can somehow be affected. And it's cool to hear that you've been pleasantly surprised by that. Now let's talk about disappointments. Mm -hmm. What is something that you were disappointed to learn about yourself that you've been able effectively to change or to make an improvement on? As far as a disappointment about myself, Mm -hmm. it was probably that I thought that I could get a lot more done on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, But that it's, it's like a weird, it's like a toss up, like disappointed. Yes. But then at the same time, I've been pleasantly surprised about how other people have come to my aid to actually assist in those areas. Um, I've been disappointed in the sense that I felt like I couldn't I couldn't please everybody. I thought that I could and I thought that I would be able to do it. And the hard part of business is learning that you cannot please everybody. And it's not just a reason to... Um, check out and be like, yeah, you can't please everyone move right on. But it's like a real actual disappointment when an employee leaves and they have a certain opinion about me and I can't necessarily change that opinion with my words. They have their opinion and it's a bummer because we probably go into all walks of life trying to be everyone's friend. And it's, that's been the hardest thing is realizing that I can't be friends with everybody. I try. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that, man. Like, uh, I really like what you said. It's like, but that's not a reason to check out of it. Like, you know, that thing where it's like, well, can't please everyone shrug my shoulders. So I might as not, well, not even try as a business owner. It's super hard or as a boss or anyone who's in charge of, of helping people do their jobs or grow or develop. Sometimes you're going to be a jerk. You're going to do the wrong thing. You're going to make, take shortcuts with people. You're going to be the asshole. You're going to be someone's bad boss. And that's true. And other times they're going to think that's true about you, but it's actually not. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the things that I've seen leaders do is like they have a few bad experiences where they felt they were doing the right thing and someone still had a bad, you know, bad opinion of them. You can't just shrug and be like, oh, well, you know, like screw it then. Like I'm just going to act however I act. You do actually, even when people are wrong about their opinion about you, and even if they think you're an asshole, but you actually weren't being an asshole, you still have to stay in the fray about doing your best all the time to do the right thing by people, mm-hmm. even if you get burnt by it. And that's something that I've learned. And it's something that I'm hearing from you as well, that you're not, it doesn't cause you to just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's support groups out there, whether it's other business owners, which has been great here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's been a huge, huge learning thing for me. And it consistently still is like, I don't think that'll ever change, but I've had some I've had, I have a specific example, don't need to get into it, but mm-hmm. where someone, I knew that they were wrong about an opinion about me without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Anger came to me originally. Cause like that, you know, we all got in fights when we were younger and that's like my original, like that emotion, like starts yeah. to stem up and you're like, Oh man, I want to knock this person in the face. <laughs> right. Obviously not the right thing to do. Um, but I had to like check myself, kind of look at the situation. How did they come to that? check kind of write down a list like did i say something at this point to make them believe that yes or no did um my actions look like they came out this for yes or no and at the end of the day even if it's like no they were just wrong and maybe they're just an entitled individual how do i not make myself appear to be that way or if in fact someone does come down the road i can have a conversation and try and understand why they got there like it's it baffles me. It happens with other companies that I find friends of mine who I love dearly and they just go off on a staff person for leaving and they hold this grudge for, I'm like, no, like there's probably a reason for it. Like don't need to lash out. Don't lash out on that Yelp review. Don't lash out on these people. Like you're it's okay. People are going to have their opinions. Just be consistent. Like you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And man, that space, like I, I think of it as three ways. It's like when, when you've had a bad experience with a, with an employee, either it's someone in your company or someone who reports directly to you, you got one of three things. You reflect on it and you do a lot of reflection. You think about it and you realize, you know what? I actually am the villain here. I, totally. I, I did these things. Or you reflect on it and you're like, you know what? No, they're wrong. And they actually, they're kind of the villain in this. And, and, mm-hmm. and they, they, they're wrong and it's easier for them to have this opinion. And more often than not, it's a middle ground where it's just like, hey, you know, there's probably there's definitely stuff here I could have done better. It's a good learning experience. I'm going to figure out what I can learn from this, apply it better, apply myself better so I can work with a broader range of people. I can handle different types of personalities. And this person also brought a lot of stuff to the table that created these issues. I find it's more often than not not that middle one. But we got to stay open to the fact that we actually could have been the villain there or that other people actually, oh no, actually you kind of just suck, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, nothing is, there's, there's a lot of gray areas in these. And I'm sure you hear this and a lot of the people you talk to, I feel like it's a, a great learning lesson to, yeah, again, put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Maybe they are the villain. I most often will talk to my staff and will very much admit when I'm in the wrong or, mm-hmm. hey, phew, man, I've done those before. I totally... I know that a lot of that's my bad. Um, I took the wrong steps, but here's how I'm going to correct it. And my, hopefully my communication with everybody is at least where that ties into that consistency. Like I will also admit, yeah, I could have handled that a lot better. I'm totally wrong. I am human, but 
Um, I'm not going to let that happen again. Or you guys can check me if it does. Somebody else can check me and help me out. Yeah. So yes, I hear this from a lot of leaders, but it's it, it's more prevalent with people who come from the punk scene because mm-hmm. like we do want to be friends with everyone, and we we, we totally. come from like a, such a there's such a strong moral through line in punk that's like no, I'm going to be different than the other bosses, mm-hmm. and you're like oh shit, this is actually just the same. It totally is, and <laughs> I've seen people leave Timeless and try and go start their own ventures, which I'm always about. Like I mm-hmm. love it, love. Hopefully their their time was served well where they've learned something and um, some of them have come back and even told me like, uh, yeah, it was a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is, but it's awesome that you tried it. You know, <laughs> totally, man. I, I, I completely relate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the story of timeless. So like talk, talk to us about like starting with like idea, like, damn, I should do this to like actually making it happen. What's the, st- and then also to where we are today. Tell us the story of timeless. The long slash short version uh, started back in coffee back in 98, working for Pete's, as everyone in the Bay Area who grew up here has probably put their time into Pete's coffee. Um, immediately fell in love with it. You know, I was 19 years old and fell in love with just the coffee atmosphere. Not even necessarily the drink itself yet. I was more into the coffee shop vibe. Mm-hmm. Hanging out, friends, you had your daily customers. I immediately, rec- like, it, it immediately felt like a punk type setting in the sense that here's these people that come into this establishment, let's say every day, you get to know their name, you get to know their families, you get to see their kids grow up, whatever they're doing in the walk of life compared to a restaurant. It's like uh, maybe a restaurant you go once every month, once every week. But in the punk scene, especially at that age, man, I was going to shows, you know, multiple days a week. Those are my friends. Those are my family. And we were going and doing, it seemed like I knew most everything going on in that, in that world that just kind of moved like this. And the coffee scene was that to me as well. It was like just another attachment um, to how I felt about punk. Worked in coffee, um, eventually, you know, started touring and got into a profession of doing, um, yeah, guitar tech for different bands. And in my travels, I kept on having this idea of like, what am I going to do after I'm done with this? And just kept thinking like, this isn't the long game. You know, I'm having fun in my 20s, but what's the long game? And I kept coming back to, man, I really like coffee. Coffee was like the most fun job I've ever had of my, you know, 20 jobs I'd had. And then when I was in Norway in the early 2000s and started realizing that the coffee game had changed, like the profiles of coffee and how it tasted. And I'm like, whoa, this is now this is actually a product also that I'm getting behind. And I could feel it like it was just so great. And then still in touring, I went to a place in Kansas City called Broadway Cafe and it like blew my mind with how this coffee was. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be in coffee. All right, that's my end game. And I decided by the age of 30, I was going to stop touring. Fast forward to 30, I realized I didn't want to tour anymore, even though I was still having fun, but I kind of wanted to look at a career path and what I could potentially do. So I decided to get a job at Blackheart Tattoo because they were friends of mine. They could be like, hey, you can come here, work here, get some cash while you figure out what you're going to do. Went to Blackheart met the owners of Cyclass who were at four. I could give you this whole spiel, met the owners of Cyclass. They were working at four barrel. They said, come work for us. We're opening this place called Cyclass. I was like, perfect. I'm going to go there for a few years. If I can learn how to roast with you guys and then potentially open my own place. They're like, perfect. Sign on. Worked for them for three years, became their head roaster. They had me buying green coffee. And then at one point I had to make a decision. Hey, do you want to be our green buyer? 
and go and travel overseas, go to Colombia, wherever. And I, at that point, when they asked me to do that, I had the realization, okay, do I want to go into this career path or do I actually want to do my own thing? And at that point, I had realized I had learned enough about roasting that I could roast my own coffee. So I started putting the plans in motion of how, in fact, I could open up my own coffee roastery, wanting it to be all vegan, but knew I didn't have the baking skills or any cooking skills for that matter to do that. So my wife, who was sparring, doing Muay Thai, was her sparring partner was Violet, at that time, Slocum, now her last name, Perlaga. They were sparring partners in Muay Thai. Um, and she had a strong background in baking. She was baking for Whole Foods, for doing chocolates, for Gracias Madre. So she was in all vegan stuff. I just bluntly asked her, hey, I want to start my own shop would you want to come join forces with me and be the whole baking side of it? No hesitation. She was like, absolutely, let's do this. And so I then put my time in at site class before I even had a lease, before I even had a space. I just decided, all right, I'm quitting site class and I have to force myself to go find a location. And then that was the decision to do timeless. And I found a space within a couple of weeks of quitting, um, on the street where I live currently, I've been here 17 years, and that was the beginning of Timeless. Uh, and I want to speak to this story because there's, first of all, I, I like that you said end game several times in there because <laughs> our producer, well, our producer Spencer plays in a, in a band called End Game, who just Love put it. out a new record. Spencer, uh -huh. props to End Game. I hope you felt really good when that was being said. All right. <laughs> so back to. <laughs> And, and Patrick, who's on the other side of the computer, plays in an incredible band called Chain Whip, and everyone should oh, check them out. I'll take notes. Patrick. Okay. Um, we can talk about my current employees in their bands, too. We'll get, you know. <laughs> let's just make this a playlist. Let's make a... Yeah, of course. Let's, let's make an accompanying playlist. All right. No, let, let's go back to the story, though. I remember when, when I first met you, Sight glass was still being constructed and you were just working in the front little thing. And, and we were, you know, just kind of getting to know each other. And you told me like in that early stage, yeah, my end game is actually to go and do my own coffee thing. And I remember at the time thinking how interesting it was that you had employers that hired you mm -hmm. knowing that you were going to go off and start your own thing in the same industry. And I thought that mm -hmm. was such a cool thing for them to say, hey, come in, like, come in and we'll teach you this thing and you can help us build it up. Tell us about that relationship because that's like a real cool part of the story. Absolutely. Um, I can't sing their praise enough. Jared and Justin Morrison, two brothers that own Sight Glass. So I went in with it being very honest, like, hey, I want to do my own thing. I'd love to learn from you. What you're going to get from me is a really hard work ethic. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ride with you up until that point. And, um, mm -hmm. They, I give them a lot of credit because, you know, in that industry, especially in the Bay Area, I can't speak for the Northwest, but in the Bay Area, it was extremely competitive and people mm. had a lot of um, bad things to say about other coffee roasteries. Yeah. It became this like, it was dark and I never understood it. I've never considered like there's, there's room for all and competition and we can go ahead and cite grill biscuits here and say mm. that competition, like, you know, it's just not a good thing. In, especially in this industry, like we're all in this to win together. And Jared and Justin took me on. They were huge supporters of Timeless from the very beginning. Um, they loaned equipment to me. They, I, they, they're the people that I've called multiple times, you know, years down the road and been like, holy 
I fucking finally realized why you did that. I apologize for how much of an asshole I came across in that meeting, this one meeting where I was demanding something like I see what you're saying now. And I'd like to like sing your praise and also apologize. And they've loved it. They've been like, we appreciate it, man. You didn't have to like say that, but it makes us feel good. Um, yeah, they, they had come from, from areas that people had been burning each other and maybe because they're brothers and they kind of had that like bond with each other and just really like, weren't i mean they're competitive in their own right but um just give them a lot of praise and it and it's helped me because that's what i continue to go with with timeless like i want everyone to succeed if they want to move off and start their own roastery have at it you want to start your own bakery that's great like hopefully your experience is only positive so that when you do open that place you're going to actually sing our praise as well Okay, but I, we got to stick with this, man, because it, it's an mm-hmm. interesting thing for me. It's a it's a good karma to start timeless with as well. But like, it's it's a two way exchange. They were like, "Hey, we want you to come into the business, and we're going to teach you this business." But you were also upfront with them. I mm-hmm. want to start my own thing. So that's that's two different parties being honest with each other. And hundred percent, they are making an informed decision to bring in someone they know is going to learn from them and then start their own business. And like a lot of people would say no to that. A ton of people would be like, well, why would we teach you our secrets? But on the flip side, a lot of people would lie about it. And they'd be like, oh, no, I'm I'm here with you guys. Like the whole time taking notes until oh. they're ready to go. That that honesty up front, I think is, a, I got to say, sadly, it, it seems like a relatively rare thing. I completely agree. Um, it's. I find it pretty rare. I'm seeing it in some other businesses and I try and pass that on the same that they did for me. I truly do try and pass it on with other businesses and um, other vegan businesses that try and open. Like I really, really have tried to focus on that. It's not a competition. We're all in this to win. And in the same thing, like I will continue forever to sing the praise of psych class. It doesn't, it's, it comes off as authentic because mm-hmm. it is authentic. Like mm-hmm. they did right by me. I did right by them. And that relationship has only grown. They're still good friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a continual win. If when I can sit here in an interview or other interviews and I can be like, Hey, I went to psych class. This is what happened. ABC. And people go like, I'm going to, I want to go buy psych class. That's a rad company. Like they just seem like a very honest, open uh, company. And, the other side of it, they'll speak highly of us, of, of timeless. It's great. Yeah. It is rare though, which is unfortunate. It's an interesting thing. Cause people are, are, are fearful. Like again, as a business owner, if someone said to me, like, Hey, Ram, I want you to, I want to come and work in your business. I want to learn how to be a coach and I want to learn how to build up a coaching business. I'd be like, geez, do I really yeah. want that? Like I'd admire the honesty for sure, but I'd be nervous. It's like, damn, do I want to teach someone all my secrets or, or like the ways I go about it? And it's an interesting thing to think about as a business owner. Like it, I love to hear the story from you, but it's getting me to think like, gosh, would I do that? And, and I could tell you plainly, like, I don't know today if I do that, it would have a lot to do with the person that was talking to me, like I agree. how I felt about that person. And, and if I knew them, if I trusted them, if I, if I respected them versus someone who's just like, Hey, I want to come and learn from you. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's a person which, you know, I didn't know them the best, but I mean, I, was up front. I I feel like me coming to them and stating what I wanted to get out of it, I would, I would think it helped them with their decision. Like 
so that when it came up to it, it's like, or to the final decision, it's like, well, I did say this three years ago, it wouldn't be a surprise. I think that the flip side of it, if someone's secretly taking notes on the side, that's where you feel like burned by somebody. But anybody totally. who's upfront and um, tells you from the get-go that, that comes into Timeless and says what they want to do. We've had multiple staff people who say like, yeah, we're here and we plan on opening up our own vegan bakery someday. And as long as I, I yeah, I feel as long as somebody is honest, it goes a long way. I know mean, well, it's a cliche about just honesty and whatnot, but it, in the business world, you're absolutely right. It A lot of people want to claim to be open and honest to something like that. But when it comes actually down to it, it's really hard to like see yourself in that situation. And it goes to being an owner until you're actually in that situation. You can, we can talk about how we'd like to act, but until it really happens, we don't know. Yeah. This is like, I refer to this as like uh, marquee words. Like when Mm -hmm. people are like, Hey, what's important to you? Trust, honesty, like I, you know, being transparent and it's like, yeah. And, and I believe people when they say those things and I hope people believe me when I say those things, but like, let's say like honesty, people lie all the time. I lie all the time, but not sure. like, I don't lie about like big, serious things. But like, if someone's like, Hey, do you like my demo? And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell you what I You're really like, think. Don't it's ask like, hey, me. <laughs> please don't ask me. And by the way, if you give me your demo and I said that, like, it doesn't mean I don't like it. I probably do. But, um, the idea that like we have as business owners and leaders, like we want to aspire to these great things, but we're human Mm -hmm. beings. And especially in a case like yours or mine, we've put our lives on the line, like, or put our um, future on the line by starting businesses. That's going to test your moral fiber from a marquee's perspective of like honesty. Cause honesty can mean a lot of different things when you're up against the wall. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, You're right. in finding those like keywords, like, ah, man, I've, I've, it definitely has, come up and you know especially in times of the pandemic like how did your how did your honesty actually stand up did you are you actually going to follow through on the things that you're saying um and a lot has come to light with individuals and how they actually react and who's going to do what and um it's it's interesting but like i'll take a lot of these times and i'm not to like pivot the conversation but it just definitely feels like we're in a time where a lot of those keywords actually came to light. Like, Oh, how'd you, how did you handle this situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which has been pe- good. I felt really good about in general, overall, our response, our staff's response. And that comes down to hopefully being consistent and actually when the pressure's on trying to at least being upfront, communicating properly, being honest and sticking to what I hopefully originally had stated about myself and the company or at least allowing it to be a conversation to maybe I was wrong. Here's why I think I was wrong. Well, it's interesting. You, you went to the pandemic side. Cause like, yeah, I actually feel like the pandemic in a good way showed who's real deal and who's not like the people I saw, like propping other, everyone else's businesses up and like not just looking out for themselves, but trying to look out for other businesses and other people that was the stuff where I was like, hell yeah, I want to have that person on the podcast or I mm-hmm. want to support that person. It was an interesting thing to watch from a leadership perspective. I want to hit on something though. So like, sure. I want to talk to you about two things. I want to start, I want to talk about like the vegan industry and how like we've all seen it evolve. But I, something real interesting about Timeless is that you don't overtly market yourself as as being a, uh, a vegan cafe. It's not really something that you're pushing it. And why is that? Well, in the in up until very recently, we hadn't really ever pushed it. Um, recently, we have, and I can get into that. But mm-hmm. from the get go, um, 
the basic answer is didn't want to scare anybody. And not because I think that the word veganism scares people, but the reality is the word veganism scares people. Um, so when we talk about it, you know, nine years ago, and I'm sure even dating back into the nineties, we, that word was put across as like, uh, whether it's a punk kid, weird hippie, uh, stuff like that. And we, we knew that off having a blueberry scone was a blueberry scone. Having a slice of, you know, strawberry shortcake is a strawberry shortcake. There's no reason to put the word vegan in front of it. Now, obviously, when you're talking about allergies and whatnot, sure, that plays into a different game. But we saw that we were part of the community here. And in order to get people to come in the door, as much as I have to look at it from a bottom line, getting people in the door, the vegan community spreads the word. We knew consistently that vegans would come. There was no mm -hmm. issue with that and having the background that I have growing up here, punk scene, the punk kids were all going to come in. So how do you get those other people in the door? And it's, we know we offer a great product, baking and coffee. Mm. We will scare the vast majority of people by putting that word in front of it. And that's just a harsh reality. And we saw it consistently. We had a conversation with everybody. We, re we recommended things. It wasn't just like, Hey, can I get this? Um, can I get a latte? Yeah, sure. We have so soy or almond. It was, we have soy and almond milk. We recommend almond. If you're used to drinking dairy, here's what we would recommend. Like we made it a very comfortable conversation because in order to quote, win people over, it was key to not pass judgment upon their lifestyle. And a big saying that we had that um, Sam and I, who helped start the place as well in the beginning was we didn't want to be your everyday coffee shop. Just let us be your every other day. That was like our early thing that we would say to people like, yeah, you don't have to be vegan every day. You can just be every other day. Like, come on in and get a coffee. You can still go down the road and get pizza or Starbucks. Like, it's all good. And it, what we tried to make it as openly community-based, talking to people um, that we live there. So it was a key thing. Now, it's changed since then where you see plant-based was not a term that either of you or I ever had heard up until recently. I say recently within the five to 10 years and that for some reason has changed how people view food like plant paste doesn't seem to bother anybody like it doesn't seem to scare people in the same way which is great so we have certain yeah. things we'll put a little sign in the corner that says 100% plant-based all right and I like it for that reason I don't like it for other like I mean you oh, know what I, I could go on I, and on about it with you too totally, it, totally. <laughs> Like I cringe at the term, but I know it serves, it serves a great purpose. All right. Now let's hit more harder on the veganism side. Um, so let's say you and me were hanging out like 12 years ago and we were like, man, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if more people got exposed to veganism or if we had all of these options or if we could go somewhere and just get vegan pizza, like anywhere, like we could have really conceivably had a conversation like that a lot of different times. And yeah, we're here now. Like we, we're in this place, but the piece that I, I often ask vegan business owners is now that we're here, mm -hmm. we see all of these businesses that were not part of the initial push, who were not part of the mid push, but now they're capitalizing on the momentum that veganism has built and now they're investing. So you've got like all of these big chains who are like all of their vegan burgers. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I would say without a doubt, it's a good thing, okay. but my, you know, it comes from multiple levels. There's bad and everything, but I do still think it's a win. Um, you know, these impossible burgers, whether it's beyond, 
going into Burger Kings and Taco Bells, that food isn't meant for me. It's not. It's meant for, you know, the, I wouldn't even, it's meant for people who are in that line of getting food, fast food. It's meant for them. I think it's still a win because if you can pull more people away from eating animals, the, the win is there. And hopefully it's a better win for the earth as well. And it expands the openness, open-mindedness of everybody understanding that food is food. It doesn't have to be vegan food versus non-vegan food. Like all of this stuff can be, as long as we can create something that's sustainable, I definitely see it as a win. Now, there are definitely like setbacks to it. But all in all, yeah, you're seeing these large corporations, whether it's athletes, celebrities, huge companies investing in these. And I keep referring to Impossible Foods or Beyond because they're the big, big ones right now. Or you know, cell-based food and whatnot. And again, not for me, don't care. I don't need to taste chicken, don't need to taste meat. But if that falls in line with our dog food and our cat food, I'm in for it. You know, like there's there's like these little wins that um, overall the greater good was 12 years ago, you and I would have talked about how great it would be if we were at this point. And I would still see it be a win. And it's just learning how to balance with some of the failures that'll come with it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of those, of those failures, like uh, when I was speaking to Chris Callahan from uh, sacked and previously swarm left for dead, he said to me what I, it was like when he said it to me, I was totally floored by it. And he was like, listen, I, I want to live in a world where there's vegan options everywhere, but somewhere like McDonald's doesn't care about having the meat eaters and they don't care about having the vegans. They care about having all the business. All they care about is having an oligarchy. And oh, I was yeah. like, and when he said it, like, it was just like, cause you know, you kind of think, oh, the, you know, I think of McDonald's like meat eating or, or like uh, meat. And then you think of like veganism or all these things, like these other people, it's like, these aren't even, these aren't even diets to them. They're just figuring out how they can get everyone. Oh yeah. And I can say it one way and it sounds super evil. And then you could say it another way where it's like, well, of course a business wants to get everyone like for timeless, you want to get everyone, whether they're vegan or not, to come into your place. That's not evil. That's smart business. And mm -hmm. because you're my friend and because I'm vegan and I, I want you to be successful, I want you to have all of the business. So it's like, it's an interesting idea. The more popular veganism or popular is maybe not the right term. The more accepted it is and more options there are, there are going to be these huge industries that start investing that really couldn't have given a shit until it was profitable to them. And it's down to the consumer to say like, where do I want to go? Do I want to go with something that that invests back in the community or do I want to go into something that is putting money in the pockets that didn't care about my diet two years ago or five years ago or seven years ago? Yeah, and that's probably, that's the thing that I struggle with um, and clearly others in our field, uh, you know, or in punk communities or humanitarians, environmentalists, will struggle with this consistently. Um I still see how it's a win because if you're talking about these corporations and a big thing for me, let's put it at McDonald's, it wasn't going to change until it was money. Like I, I would totally. sing that forever. And I'm a believer that there should be some kinds of breaks for those companies in order to invest in getting them to stop serving meat, to turning to a plant-based thing, because at the end of the day, it's money. But at the same time, they have employees and the humanitarian side of it is a lot of them probably are stuck in a working environment, whether it be a factory farm person, like it doesn't, they're not right for what they do, but it, we can't ignore the fact that 
some of them probably feel stuck in that industry. Like they're putting food on the, they're actually putting food on the table for their family. And how do we get it so that we can incentivize those to like, like a Tyson to change over from their factory farming to producing uh, humane meats, like a vegan meat or different type of milk product that is sustainable and doesn't harm animals. But it also puts money into the pockets of those staff. So it's like this tough thing that I battle with all the time too. But we're overpopulated in the world, you know, consistently growing. I don't know how that's changing outside of the work that we do in a society to make our environment worse and worse and worse from climate change and whatnot. But hopefully, the goal is if somebody does walk into a McDonald's, gets a vegan burger, realizes that, oh, this actually does taste really good. Now I know what this is like from plant-based or veganism. I'm going to go check out this other place down here that is, let's say it's this old co-op. They actually, for the first time in their life, go into a co-op because of, I heard they have more vegan stuff. And now they're exposed to a community that is different. And that's my hope is that you just start somebody and they hopefully are going to go down that path and figure out those businesses that are sustainable, that are trying to make a change and bring them to a community that they didn't know even existed or that they were willing to go into. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And with something that you brought up that I think is super important to highlight, like for me, real leadership is like, hey, you got to look at everything and you mm -hmm. can't just be like, it's small minded to say, I want this change and we should just do that change no matter what. It's like, yeah. yeah, but like, okay, great. So we want, we want to move away from meat based diet, meat based diets over to vegan diets or plant-based or whatever we're going to say. Sure. But there's centuries old industries <laughs> built up around meat eating. And there are people who are good people, decent people who have jobs within these industries where they've invested their lives in these careers. And if, if you're suggesting to them, well, you should lose everything because we need to make that change. You're not wrong because you're trying to save lives and you're trying to save the environment. You're not wrong, but you're not right either because these yeah. people who maybe didn't have access to the experiences that you and I have had or the mm -hmm. education that you and I had or, or have never, they, di they didn't grow up viewing animals from the lens of that. They grew up thinking that an animal is the same as like a piece of wheat. Like that, that is a way of thinking to simply say, well, go find another job. That's not right either. And real leadership in this space is like looking at the whole picture and saying, how do we create the right environment so we can get to that change in a way that works as best we can for everyone to both save animals and save the environment and create an equitable and fair change that works for society? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you look at it from a lens of, I've seen the biggest change in the most recent years um, especially living where I am in Oakland, which is a, you know, really diverse community mm -hmm. and seeing the change happen in veganism with all, what the number one thing I've noticed is athletes have now pushed, um, mm -hmm. a plant-based diet, as they say, or a vegan diet. Usually they're saying plant-based and that's why I keep referring to it, but you see these athletes and you see, you know, like, um, black and brown people really embracing a different style of eating that I just wasn't seeing before. Predominantly, you would see a majority. It was like a white culture, uh, predominantly white people eating a vegan diet. And then all of a sudden it like changed. And especially here in the past five to 10 years, maybe a little bit longer because there's been some other restaurants that have, you know, opened up, but the change has happened so rapidly and it's the most amazing thing to me like i 
seriously, every day I'm like so happy because I see another black owned vegan business opens another Mexican restaurant opens. that's all vegan. Um, you know, we have multiple Filipino restaurants that are all vegan here in the Bay area. And I'm just like, this is the coolest thing happening. And some of that I've talked to a lot of people is because they went to a Burger King and got an impossible burger. And now yes. they're coming because they found out about Malibu's, which is on our street at Piedmont here, which is, you know, black owned all vegan burger spot. But it's that introduction. And it feel like sometimes it's easy for me or us as like a white male to want it one way, but it to another group of people that maybe they were in a food desert and all of a sudden they found out about vegan food in another way. And now they're like, I can open my own business. I'm gonna go do it. And there's people who are doing it with like one year into veganism, um, a place here, uh, vegan mob. He like was a Bay area rapper from San Francisco went vegan and like two years later opened up his own restaurant. And I was just like, and I seriously have loved it. And it, sometimes it's at the expense of, well, they went into a, Burger King or Carl's Jr. And that was their first introduction. Okay. It's a, it's a loss and a win. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing. And I like that idea that like, you know, there's all sorts of ways to do it. There's not necessarily a wrong way, but it's, it's not so much how you got there. It's what you do with it. And mm -hmm. that's, that's super like, it's good insight, especially from someone who owns a, a vegan business. Now let's go back to timeless. Uh, yeah. Nine years, man. So what's next? That's a very good question. Uh, next is opening up our third shop, which is downtown Oakland on the 28th of this month because we passed our inspections. So open that. Um, and then I recently signed a lease for a production facility to move the bakery, um, which will also have another storefront. And that's in Jack London in Oakland. So the five-year plan after that is, honestly, I'm rethinking it and how it goes. But... Um, Definitely to grow. Uh, I had told people that I worked with that someday I was going to try and retire at 50. I'm 42 now. Not that I have to retire. It's just kind of like one of those things I say like, yep, gonna, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can so that at the age of 50, I can make that decision. Not that I would retire because I still enjoy working. But um, I definitely plan on growing and uh, I'd love to be able to be a model of what it looks like for a coffee roastery and bakery that's all vegan and can actually grow because still to this day we are the only one that i can think of that is an all vegan coffee roastery and bakery so mm. I, I love it all right so as we're closing off i got three questions for you Let's hear it. Uh, first is if you're to give any advice to someone who's got a dream and they want they want to do their own thing they want to take that leap as a starting point, what would your advice be for someone who's first thinking about like, can I do this? I mean, the answer, I'm sure you hear from everyone. Yes, you can, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Um, my, oh, my advice is reevaluate your work ethic. Like, do you have the actual work ethic? Really look back at you as an individual mm -hmm. and look back at your previous work history and what it is that you've done doesn't even mean like what field necessarily, but whatever you did in work, did you actually give it your all? And did you like put forth your best foot? And if you did, I think you're pretty ready. Like you, you have the capability of like going out and doing it. If you didn't, I would, my suggestion for people is, okay, reevaluate that work ethic and create one for yourself and understand that it is all hard work. All the payoff is great, but really to, 
think about how you as the individual, like that was one thing I knew about myself was, well, at the end of the day, I'm just going to bet on myself. I know that I have a good work ethic. What's the worst thing that could happen? I have to go back and just continue to work. Okay, cool. I got that knocked out. So my loss is um, just really balancing out like what it is that means what's important to you and start with the work ethic. All right. Next question is, so you're growing and you're scaling up. Personally growing you... or? No. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're looking swole. No. Yeah. All right. Timeless is growing. Mm-hmm. How, what's your advice to someone who wants to grow their business, but stay true to themselves? Um, get more seats at the table. Mm-hmm. Have people that have, that know more than you do. Without a doubt. I have phenomenal people that work with me. It is not all me by any means. Um, I have my mother-in-law who's been with me from day one. She's been my financial consultant. I have Violet. I have my buddy, Sam. I have my friend, Tommy, Tommy Love. If you know Tommy Love, Mm -hmm. he's worked with Timeless for quite a while now. Like, If you want to grow, have more people that you trust at the table without a doubt because you, the person alone, cannot do it. Actually, now you've given me a second question. So we've got two more questions. Let's hear it. Uh, what's your advice for people around hiring their friends? Um, I mean, I'm pro, but realize going back to our early part of the discussion, you might be considered an asshole at some point and need to assess if you're actually okay with those tough conversations. Um, it's a real gut check. I am all for it. I think it's great. If in fact you as the person can accept that you will be an asshole at some point, yeah, you will, it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And can you learn from those experiences? I've had many tough conversations, some which have only made our friendships that much better, but some have suffered, but understanding that the reality is it's, it's coming down. There's no way around it. I am 100% pro hiring your friends. I think hiring your friends is a wonderful thing. And you're going to have, you got to realize that I always say that if you're going to hire someone, you've got to, you've got to be totally comfortable with firing them and like firing them directly with like, you know, with good reason. Mm -hmm. And if they're really your friend, this is something that one of our guests um, recently named Chad said, he's like, if your friend is really your friend, if you have to fire them, they'll still be your friend because they'll know that you letting them go was for the, was the, for the best reasons. Mm -hmm. And it might hurt their ego, but if they're still your friend after firing them, you've got a friend for life. I agree hundred percent. You couldn't be more right. I'm all pro I'm for it. I love it. I have friends that still work there and it's the the best thing ever. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. We're pro hiring friends. All right. Last question for you. And I'm not saying I'm going to hold you to this. So your answer could change tomorrow or the week after it's totally fine. But for you today, best three hardcore records that ever came out of the Bay area. Out of the Bay area. Well, so I'm going to go based on my personal experience with them. And one is going to be controversial because whether it's a hardcore record is debatable, but Swing and Utter Streets of San Francisco mm-hmm. is still in my top five, like just records. Mm-hmm. Um, from a personal level, uh, Powerhouse, No Regrets. I mean, that for me. But then the change is going to be, and I know I worked for them for years, but AFI's answer that and stay fashionable to me, like was an actual life-changing experience. 
a lot of people probably don't even still listen to that record anymore, but it like actually changed my entire life. Like meeting them, the scene that it was, the friends that I got from that still to this day, some of my best friends and I still put it on and it gives me all the like goosebumps. Now, obviously there's more records that I will still go down, whether it's redemption, nerve agents and stuff like that. But those to me were like the game changers. Heck yeah. Those are great answers. All right, RJ, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, anything you want to add in as we're closing off? No, thanks for having me. I mean, it's fun. It's good to see you again. Mm-hmm. Not much has changed. Mm-hmm. I know I've changed my haircut, but your style <laughs> sticking the same. Uh, everything's good. I don't have any, I don't have any choice with my hair. Man. <laughs> it's going to stay the same. And congrats on the uh, fatherhood, all that. I mean, I've sent it your way too, but I haven't seen you in a bit. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, listen, uh, everyone, please check out uh, Timeless when you are in town, if you're in uh, the Oakland area, and check them out online as well. Um, RJ, thanks so much. And everyone, I will see you in the outro. Spencer, drop the beat. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much, RJ. That idea of building a business that is just really ethically sound and that's at the forefront, that doesn't have to be some like totally crazy thing. It could just be like, hey, like we're just gonna be really, really good to people and we're gonna be good to animals and we're gonna be good to the planet. It doesn't have to be more complex than that. And Timeless really, really captures that well. You know, the first time I went to Timeless, uh, I was in um, the Bay Area for a show And I didn't tell RJ I was going to stop by. I just went and wanted to check it out. And, you know, just I didn't want him to feel like, you know, he had to host me or anything. So I just went and and was hanging out and I was hanging out by myself. And I was really enjoying just seeing this thing that this guy had built up over the years. And it just was so cool. And it was like this sense of like, you don't have any ownership of it. It's your friend's thing that they've, they've built, but you can't help feeling the sense of pride for them. Like, damn, man, I'm really proud of what you've done here. And it was really cool. And of course, then I texted him. I was like, yo, I'm at Timeless. He popped by. We were able to chat. And it was just, it's just something about it. Like when people are out there doing something good and they're doing it in a way that is good. So it's, you know, it's like, again, it's good for people, good for the planet, good for animals. I don't know, man. There's just something about that you just can't beat. What something I'd encourage people to do is like, if you want to make a difference, it doesn't have to be grandiose for it to have a grand impact. In fact, maybe start simple. Like, what kind of difference do I want to make? And then just pursue that in a way that's true to you, but isn't focused on really getting it over the line. So with that, everyone, I just want to remind you that we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest, recorded by Patrick McKechnie, and with our design by Tammy Levy. I will see you all next time on One Step Beyond. Beyond.